Hey there, you're listening to the Water and Music Podcast, where we unpack the fine print of big ideas at the intersection of music and tech, featuring a curated slate of leaders, innovators, artists, and thinkers from across the music business. I'm your host, Sherry Hu. Today's guest is Wyatt Jenkins, who currently serves as the SVP of product at Patreon. I was super excited to have him on the podcast because he also has a background as a musician. He was a professional touring DJ for over a decade in the 90s and early 2000s, and was also on the founding team at Beatport, a music marketplace for DJs. So he has a really interesting perspective at the nexus of those two worlds. In this interview, we dive into a lot of interesting questions, including how music is growing faster than ever on Patreon, despite the branding and ideological barriers that still exist to getting more musicians on the platform. We talk about why Patreon is not a discovery platform and why it's difficult, if not impossible, to bake discovery and membership mechanisms into the same product. And last but not least, Patreon's long-term roadmap in terms of going further into the back office and helping artists with issues around capital and financing beyond just membership alone. I should also mention that this interview was recorded a few weeks before Patreon announced their latest funding round, which was a Series D round of $60 million. So obviously we don't discuss that funding because it wasn't known to the public when we were talking at the time, but... Hopefully the things that we talk about are still interesting now that we have that additional context around the financing behind the company and their future product roadmap. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Wyatt, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. I love talking about this stuff. So first off, given that this is a music podcast, I would love to get a sense of music's footprint on Patreon right now, because there are, to my knowledge, uh, a lot of artists that are making a substantial living and monetizing a significant portion of their fan base on Patreon, Amanda Palmer and Ben Folds being two of the most prominent ones. But I feel like it's still, I think it is gaining a lot of mind share among artists, but not as much traction as I think it could get. So if we could start there, just to get a sense of what is the current size of music as a category on Patreon? Is it growing quickly compared to other categories like podcasts or like illustrators or other types of artists? Yeah, so uh, music is currently in our top five categories right now. So it's it's a big one uh, on Patreon. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I think it should be number one or two. Um, and mm. we haven't yet reached that tipping point. And that's, that's the thing that, um, yeah, we'll probably talk a lot more about today, what I think it'll take to, to reach that tipping point, but it is still a major category for us. And, and it's growing really well over the past few years, music has grown about six X, uh, six times in the number of creators and about four times in revenue. So 
we're getting mm-hmm. more and more musicians joining and and the revenue those musicians are making is growing and growing but there's just a bunch of blockers uh for for musicians and patreon at the moment that we're still working through and um yes it's a really fascinating time because i it's it's going to open up here in the next i don't know 1 to 3 years is sort of my prediction the doors are going to blow wide open and it's going to become a thing but it's uh we're right at the beginning of that when you say blockers for music growing more on Patreon, what exactly are you referring to? Like, is it just like certain things that musicians would want that aren't available on Patreon at the moment? Or like, what are you referring to there? Uh, There's a couple features, but that's not the main blocker. I think if I had to really summarize what the blocker is for musicians, all their other revenue streams look and sound and act really different than a membership. They're they're coming Mm -hmm. from gigs. They're coming from sales of music, touring, you know, all these other lines of revenue for musicians, brand deals are these like spiky hustle based lines of, of business. And, and Patreon's over here saying, Hey, you can make an amazing living. You can make a six figure income by just having a a close relationship with your fans and Mm -hmm. delivering unique value to them in some form, whether it's just them getting some backstage access to you or them, getting you know behind the scenes and how you made a song or them getting some merch you can create this other type of business but most musicians who i talk to it's very rarely a feature it's very rarely like oh if patreon did x and i would join uh it's usually like oh wait how would that work and like does it help mm-hmm. can i can i monetize my brand deals on patreon and like no 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 that's not <laughs> it's di- you know what i mean they try to take the model that they're currently using and put it on patreon and I mm. and we have to say so. What Patreon's job is is to, def- to define membership for the whole world. That's what we're working on right now. Is we're defining what is a what's a membership and why do artists give a shit about it? Um, and I think that's the biggest hurdle for us. Secondarily, Patreon's roots were that of crowdfunding. You know, you know. So our our the origin the origins of the company were very much like, hey, I have a I have a thing I make and I would like funding for that thing. And that doesn't mm-hmm. quite sit right with musicians because musicians aren't saying, I have a thing I want. I mean, occasionally on Kickstarter, you see albums and that kind of thing. But musicians are, are saying, I am a musician. I am a, you know, for life. And so it's not, I don't need funding for that. Like I make a thing of value and you should be become a member if you really care a lot, a lot about the thing I make of value. That's more like the branding issue I was referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Uh, in the early days, there were some big musicians like Amanda Palmer who just said, this is a great model. I'm going to take it on. So you have all those early adopters and those people that are really forward thinking who, who say, you know, what? I don't care. This is a great model. I'm going to do it. But then you have a bunch of folks who are like, oh, like if I do that, does it, what's, what's that do? Does that degrade the relationship with my fans? Does that make it seem like I'm asking for money? Those are the brand issues. And that's why it's really like, we're now building an, in the, in a, in like year two of a five-year process of being a world-class membership product where no, you're not asking for anything. You create something of value and your fans love getting backstage access to that thing you create. So in mm-hmm. that sense for musicians, it's a next gen fan club. You know, that's, that's the way mm. to think about Patreon. Maybe there's also in this current day and age where streaming dominates a pressure to scale that just by nature of what a membership is, maybe it's not as appealing to some artists. Like that there's a lot of pressure 
to like get on this one playlist or get this one brand partnership, get this one sync, whatever, that will reach the, the widest audience. And actually, this is something that I'm, I guess, experiencing firsthand. So like I have a Patreon, I'm really enjoying it, it's going well, but it also is, uh, it's like just over 150 people supporting right now. So I, like, I can just imagine if you're bringing that to an artist saying, um, you can have 150 people or a couple hundred people, yeah, allowing you to make close to a full-time living on Patreon, or you can get put on this playlist that has 5 million followers. The gap is so big. And I think now in terms of the kind of mass market idea of what success is in the music industry, there still is much stronger of a penchant towards scale, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, gosh, we're, we are all wired for, for massive reach, um, unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the vehicles that have driven monetization of music really for like 30 years, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Major, major labels were the culprit in the 80s and 90s who would sign a musician and they only care about selling as many records as possible. Mm-hmm. So major labels would push artists to do weird things like make a terrible album, even though because there's two good songs on it or, you know, cause the major labels pressing for the packaging of the good that they're going to sell the most units of. And basically that model started to break down and we moved into this internet world and now we've just swapped it out for another thing, right? Now we have, Oh, who's got the most eyeballs because yeah, yeah. Google and Facebook, they care about ad revenue. So, and Spotify. So if you can drive listens or eyeballs with the thing you do, you will get fractions of a penny on that, on the ad revenue. And again, you know, these are just giant machines of scale that are trying to do what they do best, which is make a lot of money off the most volume of uh, eyeballs or listens. And again, we're still in a really, we're just back in a really fucked up situation like we were in the 80s and 90s with major labels, only now it's with major tech platforms. Kind of related to this in terms of like the role of tech platforms. I just saw this blog post that you'd written back in February on Patreon's website that uh, I thought was so fascinating. And it was about how you argue that Patreon is not a discovery platform. And you're making the distinction between discovery and membership. I'll link to this in the show notes for those who are listening. But in case you haven't seen it, Wyatt in this post is addressing this question that that you've you've gotten all the time of why doesn't Patreon help me get new fans or grow my audience or feature me on the homepage? Questions that I feel like in the context of music streaming, artists and managers are jumping on all the time, like when they're talking to the Spotify and Apple Musics of the world, right? Like, how do you feature me on the homepage? There's one specific paragraph that I want to read out loud now that I thought was particularly striking to me. So you wrote, quote, if we were to become a discovery platform, we being Patreon, a platform where users go to browse new content that would put Patreon in between creators and fans. Think about YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. These sites are great discovery platforms because they have all the eyeballs. Speaking of eyeballs, their goal is to acquire and retain all the eyeballs. They leverage algorithms designed to keep showing you content you will click on. Through their algorithms, they put themselves in between viewers and creators by deciding which content to display. And that, so that just stood out to me because there also is this gradual ongoing reckoning with the fact that uh, major streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music are gatekeepers in that sense, or they also limit the extent to which artists can 
truly be direct to fan or direct to listener the way that they can be on a site like Patreon because Spotify and the like are very motivated by discovery. And so they're always trying to feed you content to listeners. And so they control the pipes of how content travels in their platform. And I have a lot of questions related to this concept, but the first one is, so it seems that based on this blog post, you don't think the fact that Patreon is not a discovery platform is a disadvantage. Because I feel like for a lot of founders or people who are building startups related to helping creators or to you know helping people create content, discovery and editorial are a necessary component of a quote-unquote successful company in this realm. It's like almost table stakes for even competing in this realm. But based on this blog post, you're saying like, no, that's not what Patreon is about. We, we just want to take a backseat and help creators connect with their supporters as effectively and as efficiently as possible without anything going in between. So I, yeah, I would just l- love to get your thoughts on that. Well, there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's look at a bunch of industries. I think there are examples actually in other industries of where people aren't focused on discovery and they've grown very large businesses. I'd say Shopify is a really good example of that. Okay. Uh, when you buy a t-shirt from someone's Shopify store, that Shopify doesn't tell you to go buy a t-shirt at some other Shopify t-shirt store. Shopify, in a world of discovery platforms, Shopify's strategy is we will be the uh, SaaS platform uh, of all these stores where the store owners have complete control over their business. Mm-hmm. So basically what we believe our core value and and one of our, you know, real our value prop to, to musicians is, hey, we, our product will strengthen the connection between you and your biggest fans. We will not degrade the connection between you and your biggest fans. And what I would argue, and what I'm saying in this piece is essentially discovery platforms by their nature encourage the end user, the consumers, to keep looking at stuff or keep listening to stuff. That is the mm-hmm. design, that's the mousetrap. Is keep clicking, is keep getting notifications, keep doing stuff. Um, and by that design, it, it will always prioritize the engagement of the consumer over the needs of the person making the thing. Mm-hmm. That's just the way they're built. In a world of discovery platforms, we think the pendulum's swinging the other direction for the next 10 or 15 years. And a platform that strengthens the connections between you and your fans is going to actually be a long-term, viable, high-growth business. So... That's the pitch. If I were to be talking to like a VC in Silicon Valley, it's like, hey, yeah, this is not a discovery platform mousetrap that you're used to seeing in 20 other businesses that you would invest in. This is quite the opposite. It's a platform of lots of little memberships. And what our product does is we strengthen the relationship of those memberships. Maybe that is an element of the branding or messaging challenge to artists as well. I can imagine like an emerging artist with maybe like 500 listeners on Spotify, which is like, it, it's a number, but it's not that much. So I can imagine like an artist with a followership going to Patreon, expecting for that to be uh, kind of a driving force in increasing listenership on streaming because that is their priority. And so you're saying that like, that is not Patreon's role at all, right? It's, it's about uh, strengthening those bonds that already do exist and that artists and other creators have already built up elsewhere. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about like, I'm a, I'm a fan of Ben Folds. Ben Folds is on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And he dictates 
the design of that membership. He's got uh, things that he does for his fans. One thing he does is he he'll like live stream him like drinking and smoking a cigar and listening to vinyl in his house. Uh, mm-hmm. And he does that like once a month or whatever. And then it's occasionally he says, oh, I'm at a, he does a poster like, oh, I'm at this tour or I'm at wherever. He's defining what the membership looks like that connects him and his best fans. It's not, I have to go do a post every day at five o'clock to continue to, to rank high in the algorithm. It's, mm-hmm. hey, it's like, hey, fans, this is the stuff I'm going to do in my private membership. Is that interesting to you? And if so, join. And he's had a ton of success with that. And I see a bunch of other musicians do it too. But again, it's just a fundamentally different model than all the other things that exist out there. And I think that's what's, that's why we, we, we have this challenge of defining membership. The other big piece that's challenging is a lot of people think a subscription and a membership are the same thing. Yes. Uh, and, they're, mm-hmm. and they're really pretty different. I have a subscription to Netflix. Uh, I pay for it every month and I get content. Uh, and I love that content. It's really good. But I don't feel like I'm a member of Netflix. I don't like go to a, a hangout and talk to people about my Netflix subscription <laughs> or like right, do, right. or like do live Q&As with the head of product or something at Netflix. Yes. I right. just I subscribe to content on Netflix. So what what Patreon is is a membership platform and what that means is as a as a patron as someone who just is a fan of a musician you are a part of that tribe. You have an inside view. Uh, you get the merch first. You get to understand what songs are coming out later. You can have you can have creative input. That's all that kind of thing that happens in a membership. That's fundamentally different than a subscription. So, back to like what we're trying to define here. We are defining membership on the web uh, as a way to deliver really unique value to fans. Just kind of playing devil's advocate. One thing that I can see. A musician saying is that, oh, I'm already giving all of these kinds of benefits on platforms like Instagram and Snap already. And obviously the big disadvantage of relying on those platforms is that you're not getting paid for it most of the time. Like you're not getting paid or people aren't supporting you in exchange for like an Instagram live video the, the same way that they would on Patreon. But yeah, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that in terms of maybe like the types of benefits that artists are giving their fans and the way they're interacting with them that has not yet been covered or is not as effective in the myriad of other platforms that artists, um, a lot of artists feel pressure to pay attention to, like Instagram and Snap, just being two examples. I mean, I think the core, like anytime I talk to an artist, uh, gosh, and I look at my friend, I'll give you an example. I have a DJ friend of mine who has not yet joined Patreon. She's going to. (laughs) <laughs> or I'm going to mm-hmm, die. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to die trying. <laughs> I'm happy. Her name's Honey Dijon, and she and she's. Okay, yeah. Do you know Honey? I do. Yeah. So Honey, I, I've DJed. I DJed with her, you know, 25 years ago back in Chicago. So we've known each other a very, very long time. And on Instagram, she has such a presence, such such a power. She she has something to say. She's a black trans woman. She's like deep in fashion. Uh, she's always touring the world. Uh, she's just such a force. It's it's you know as a I'm I've known her for a while as, as like a as a human, but also just I'm I'm just a fan. I guess when I when I follow her on Instagram, mm-hmm. and when I talk to her personally, I say, "Gosh, honey, you have such a force, and you you 
the people that follow you, they really are interested in the things that you have to say and, and all this nuance. Why do you give that away? And she doesn't have a very good answer. You know, she, it, it's like, oh, yeah, gosh. And, and I hear this from a lot of musicians. It, they're just doing it for eyeballs because they think that funds the other things that they do. They're like, oh, I get mm, a lot of followers. Mm-hmm. That means I'll get brand deals and that means I'll get tour and blah, blah, blah. So this is like a means mm-hmm. to an end. But it doesn't have to be. I guess that's the, that's the way I would talk to any musician. You don't have to give all that away to the ad platforms. Um, mm. you, can, you can do your Instagram thing twice a week and then take some of your really special stuff back into your membership. You can still get that kind of top of funnel, just eyeballs, but you can then make a wonderful membership with your top fans. They don't have to exist. It's not one or the other. It's just the one with membership actually gets you paid a lot and in a very predictable way. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, the, that's what I would say to any musician who's, who's got a strong following on one of those social platforms. So on the flip side of that, something that I've also kind of experienced firsthand that I know a lot of artists also experience is expectations versus reality of what it takes to run a successful membership program. Because arguably, like you're saying, um, yeah, on one hand, uh, like as an artist, you're not obligated to give everything away for free, like on these ad platforms. On the other hand, f- in the context of Patreon, if you're just like giving stuff away and like that is it, like maybe that can be effective. But I feel like there's a lot more to like what makes a really memorable, successful membership program, I guess, or initiative around an artist. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about what some of those elements might be in terms of what people think goes into running a successful Patreon versus like what the actual reality is, like things that people maybe might not think about. Yeah. I think this is, um, this is a critical facet of why creators do or do not join Patreon, um, especially musicians, because a lot of times folks from the outside look at it and be like, Oh, it seems like a lot of work. I've heard that a bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting because it's whatever you make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can you can literally just take the things that you currently do and make those into the benefits of your membership, so that you do almost zero new work. That's a path I've seen a lot of successful creators take. Is just mm-hmm. okay. I'm gonna post about some topic once a week. I'm gonna write a song once a week. I'm gonna like whatever the things they do. Now I'm just gonna put those in in, in different membership tiers. Uh, mm-hmm. That way I can continue to be, because the whole point of Patreon is for musicians to continue to be creative and to do the things they love. It's not for you to like take on a second job. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? That It was, mm-hmm. it was designed by Jack Conti, uh, a YouTuber and musician, and, and now myself, a former uh, DJ and electronic musician. So it wasn't built to create an extra layer of work for someone to do. It was built for someone to do the things they were going to do anyway creatively and just Mm. have a great relationship with their strongest fans about that. But let's talk about some real uh, benefits that people deliver just because they're fun. Um, So I always like to say that there's unique, uh, tangible or intangible benefits that uh, musicians or creators can deliver to their fans. And honestly, the tangible ones are pretty straightforward. And it's actually the intangible ones that I often find to be the ones that the fans go the craziest for. Mm -hmm. So tangible benefits are exclusive content. Oh, I send early access to a new song I'm writing or 
uh, or like a half written thing that I want feedback on. Those are access. Those are very tangible benefits. Also, clearly merch. We have a new merch product uh, that helps you deliver merch to people in your membership. And mm-hmm. and it's cool because we're not trying to be a merch store. Patreon does not have a storefront where anyone can walk up and buy merchandise. We've built a merch product that helps someone deliver unique merch to somebody within a membership, maybe after three months or after six months. Maybe you get the cool purple hoodie if you've been on Patreon for a year that only a, a super fan could get. That's a type of merch. So merch and exclusive content are examples of tangible benefits you could have in your membership. And we've built products and services that help that, that help you do that stuff really easy. With the merch product we've built, you don't even you set it up once and then it just it just works behind the scenes and delivers the merch to your fans and you don't even have to care about it. Mm-hmm. So those are those are straightforward. Now there's all kinds of what I would call intangible benefits. One intangible benefit is recognition. It's amazing how far a little bit of recognition goes to making fans feel really special. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine a musician saying, hey, thank you to so-and-so who's been a fan for over a year in my membership, just on Twitter or something or in a public place and, and putting their name on that. People love that. Um, a lot of musicians do name and credits. They'll be like, hey, these are my patrons that support me and help me do this album. And they do a whole page of like mm-hmm. patrons that supported them. And then we also have like communities we sync up with where you can get a little badge for being a patron for, for a, a period of time. Those are all what I would call recognition-based benefits. And people love them. And they're pretty low output from the creator. The creator doesn't, and the musician doesn't have to like do a lot of work. You just, once or twice a month, you log in and you give some shout outs to folks who are really, uh, who, who've been longtime fans. Uh, so recognition is one in, intangible benefit that fans love and is low work for the creator. Another type of benefits, involvement. A lot of fans just want to, they want to see how the sausage gets made and they, and they would love to give feedback, even if it's not hurt, even, even if the artist doesn't do it. Just, I see um, uh, musicians ask about half finished songs. Hey, what do you think about this direction? I'm taking this. Mm-hmm. I see authors ask about, uh, ask their fans like, hey, which direction should I take this character next season? Um, these are all, and w- there's polls and things like that where creators can ask their fans to take a quick survey so they can get some direction from them. These are all the things that are kind of creative involvement. That's that type of benefit. Another type of benefit is a gated community. So uh, a lot of creators use Discourse or Discord or one of these community products we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a Reddit integration And they basically create a community that you can only be a part of if you're a member. And in that community, you have people talking back and forth about kind of insider information. And usually there's like a community moderator who's been a longtime fan of that artist or musician. That's a thing that we do as well. The last type of benefit I'll talk about is access to the creator. Uh, A lot of creators will do uh, a monthly video chat with like a small uh, crew of their patrons. Um, or they'll do like group chats uh, in Slack or something. A lot of musicians do patron-only shows. They'll go to a town. They'll figure out who uh, the patrons are in that little town. And they'll, that musician will go to a bar that holds 50 or 60 people. And it'll be a patron-only show. Mm-hmm. These are all forms of access that someone couldn't get uh, if they weren't part of a membership. But with all these, you can kind of see how there's ways to do these that are very, very lightweight. Uh, for for the musician. 
that you know it, that you could just do one or two touch points a month and and keep your fan base super engaged and interested. Mm-hmm. Okay, I talked a long time there. Does that all make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. And I'm like really glad to hear you say all of that because those are all things that I'm like trying out in some way with my own page. And it, yeah, it's been super interesting to, I guess, to try to navigate the tangible versus intangible benefits actually. And I think I yeah, I initially started my Patreon to focus on intangible benefits. And I guess historically, the value of those types of benefits have been really hard to measure. And maybe, I don't know if this is something you thought about, but maybe with the help of a membership platform like Patreon, like it is easier to measure because now you're able to quantify like, oh, this is how many people would be willing to pay for access to my songwriting process, right? Like like if you're an artist or in my case, it's like the process of like putting together an article. I don't know if that's something that you've like thought about or are trying to like productize at all in terms of measuring the monetary value of intangible benefits. Yeah. Um, we are currently in the process of uh, ensuring that all the benefits on the entire Patreon platform are structured early days. It was sort of, you know, creators would just add whatever blob of text into Patreon around their benefits. And currently we're moving towards a model where 95% of benefits will fall into like, you know, some type of taxonomy mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. where, and that, and, and really, you know, this is, this isn't like rocket ship future. This is in the next six to 12 months, any new creator that signs up, we just, you know, Hey, these are the benefits that, that like systematically work really well for creators like you. Oh, cool. You're a rock musician. Here are the benefits. Other rock musicians have a lot of success with. These are the benefits that mm-hmm. drive patron engagement and retention. You can do whatever you want, but here's a recommendation. So yeah, that that's, that's sort of the core, you know, when you think about the product, that's sort of, the, that's, that's the core data that we sit on that's really exciting and interesting is that we know across thousands and thousands of creators which are the best benefits and and why they work. Mm. And that, I guess, enables a very different kind of discovery. And in terms of what you're recommending to, like, a, yeah, a new musician of a certain style who's maybe looking for recommendations on what to do. It's like discovery in the sense of just how to run a successful and effective business. That makes sense. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And you know, we're a platform, so we have third parties. Um, and, and as these benefits get more and more structured, more and more third parties will attach to our platform because we're not a, most ad platforms at this point are, are closed. They, they don't play well with others because they're mm-hmm. trying to keep the traffic on their site. So like Facebook and Google are trying to keep you in their world. And so, they don't necessarily have a lot of partnerships, whereas we're sort of an open door. We're a platform strategy where we want to have as many partners as possible. Uh, for example, Bonjuro is a partner. And, and what Bonjuro does is, you know, it tells you, it just links up to our API and it says, hey, these are your fans that have crossed the one-month threshold or the three-month threshold. And you can do a quick video thank you to them. And when fans get like a like a personal thank you from a creator that's that's like in video like delivered right to their phone, they love it. And and they're and they'll be a fan for years. You know, it just takes those little nudges and those little thoughtful moments that strengthen the connection between fans and patrons. I'm sorry, between fans and creators that that um that we're designed to do really really well. Great. And one more higher level organization related question comes to mind and this goes back to what you wrote about 
I'm wondering if you think there's ever a situation where discovery and membership oriented mechanisms can coexist and be baked into the same product. And one example that has not happened yet, but a lot of people have speculated about concerns pledge music, which is going through all sorts of problems right now um, in terms of like its future. For those who aren't familiar, pledge music was kind of like a crowdfunding and direct-to-fan sales and engagement platform for artists, but they failed to pay a lot of artists the money that they raised directly from fans on time because they were using their um, pulling those funds back into running their own business, and there's a whole controversy around that. And so their future is uncertain, and a lot of people have suggested that companies like SoundCloud or Spotify acquire Pledge. Their logic behind that was SoundCloud... Uh, not so much SoundCloud, but especially Spotify, it's not. It's arguably not a fan-first platform. They're a discovery platform. They're kind of promoting this model of all you can eat, um, we have millions of tracks, and we want you to keep you know, discovering new music rather than necessarily trying to strengthen bonds between artists and fans. And so by owning a company like Pledge, uh, you can start to really make a meaningful dent in that space and do things like improve the merch products on your platform, like on the artist profile, which right now is kind of relegated all the way, you know, at the bottom of the profile page. So that's just one example, but I'm wondering at a higher level, do you think that's possible in terms of a more discovery eyeballs oriented platform um, running a successful membership business um, within the same product? Or do you think that just fundamentally they have to be different? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I have a weird background. I was a, I was a musician uh, for 15 years or so. And then I started, a, uh, I was one of the founding team uh, of a company called Beatport.com uh, mm-hmm. in 2002. And, and since Beatport, I've, I've been head of product at a number of organizations, uh, Shutterstock, Optimizely, Hired, uh, and now Patreon. And so I have this really weird mix of um, having a really deep connection with being a, a musician and having seen multiple business models, uh, SaaS business models, marketplaces, discovery platforms. I've worked at all of them at this point. Mm-hmm. And when you think about companies and how they operate, big big financial organizations, really all you have to do to understand their priorities is follow the money. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very simple math. What we're doing, what Patreon's doing to answer your question directly, is we are prioritizing the needs of musicians and creators in general. But when you log on to this into this product and you use it, it's, it's very, it's designed for the creator first. And our business model, we take a percentage of creator's revenue, which means that we're only successful Patreon when the creator is successful. So if you, Sherry, make uh, $0, uh, we're going to take between 5 and 12% of $0. Mm-hmm. So if we were to ever go public or like if you were ever to look at it, Patreon in five years and whatever, you would know what our priorities are. You'd be able to go, well, their first priority is creators making money. Like they care a lot about that. Mm-hmm. So, so anytime you, if you do discovery, um, you just have to know where the priorities lie. Like YouTube's not a bad company. These are good people and, and they care about creators. I believe that. But, if you look at their financial model and their business, you realize very quickly that creators are the third priority. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The number one priority is advertisers, period. And the number two priority is end users because they need the end users to get the advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but you can tell by demonetization that when, it re- when, the, when the shit hits the fan, they got to change the algorithms, right? Because advertisers are the ones paying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the next most important thing is to make sure people stay watching video. And then the third most important thing is to make sure people make stuff for people to watch. So if you just mm-hmm. look at the, mm-hmm. the core business model of a discovery platform, the people who make stuff are the, are the third priority. Spotify cares most about end users listening and advertisers selling. Oh, and retaining on subscriptions, right? But all those mm-hmm. things are before musicians monetizing. And that's why Daniel can go out and say, we spent the first 10 years on being a great discovery platform, and now we're going to switch to creators. Really? Because <laughs> your entire business model is predicated on subscriptions and ads. Yeah. So, our, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, it's the same with Facebook, right? Facebook's like, for the first 10 years, we focused on ads. Now we're going to change everything and turn it upside down. Yes, I don't think right. you actually are because, because you are also a company, like you have, you have to answer to shareholders. Yeah. And shareholders want to see the current business grow. Mm. They, they're not like, like Zuck would have to say, hey, everybody, actually, hold on a second. Don't worry about this whole ad business that drives $50 billion a year. We're mm-hmm. going to do this other thing. It's going to be great. Now, it's going to take about 10 years for it to grow, but trust us. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that's, that's sort of like fundamentally on the business level what, what, what's going on. Um, just follow the, the money and you'll understand the priorities of organizations. Yeah, Patreon's making this huge bet. It's a crazy bet, honestly, but but I deeply believe in it that we can be creator first and grow a real business. Mm. Yeah, this is the last question before the final segment, but I did want to talk about this element of being creator first, specifically in the context of building a SaaS product that appeals to them. And I think in a previous interview with TechCrunch, because they published like a really fascinating deep dive on Patreon and where they're going and how they got here. You're quoted as saying that Patreon's goal is to build, quote, the world's best membership SaaS product for creators. And this is just something that I've also noticed a lot of other music companies are trying to compete on. Like I wrote recently about STEM, which is a music distribution platform that recently pivoted from more or less fully long tail to now trying to build effective business an accounting software, essentially, for a select group of independent artists and their teams. And so this is, I think, a high growth area for a lot of companies now. And I would love if you could share what you think is missing right now from this landscape in terms of like membership and business management SaaS for artists, specifically for musicians, and how Patreon specifically might fill that gap. Yeah, um, STEM in particular, we are currently not at all uh, competitive with. A lot of the SaaS products we're seeing out there are really kind of this model of how to do rights management and how to pay people on your team and how to Mm -hmm. do... Mm -hmm. Now, we will become competitive someday. And the reason why is because an obvious future for Patreon is to move further into the back office. Mm -hmm. Because what Patreon represents for musicians looks and smells like a steady paycheck, right? You get this monthly recurring thing. It varies a little month to month, 
Maybe you got a few extra fans this month. Maybe you lost a few more this month. But it starts to resemble this really steady, predictable income for musicians. And if you have the predictable income there on Patreon, there's so much more we can do for musicians mm -hmm. uh, once, once that's solidified. It's solidified today, but that's sort of the future roadmap. So you imagine a world in five or 10 years where, not even five or 10 years, where Patreon gets into capital, for example, mm -hmm. um, because we have a really predictable income stream. We could go to a bank and say, I can tell you what this musician's going to make for the next three years within 5% error rate mm. uh, because it's very steady and predictable. So we could get into loans. We get into ca capital uh, kind of the way that um, Stripe has and places like that. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is really easy. Oh, sorry, Square, Square Capital. Um, so we will move further into the back office in the future uh, because of the way that the revenue component works uh, for creators. It's very steady. It's very predictable. And if creators have a big project they want to do, there's no reason why Patreon can't. We can't be the source for them to loan them money against their recurring revenue stream over longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. So I do imagine us getting somewhat competitive with folks, but most of the SaaS products I've seen out there are starting in the purely back office where it's like accounting and paying your team. Whereas Patreon is really like the strengthening the connection between fans and creators so the way you post the way you deliver benefits and the way you run a membership hmm. so longer term uh, i think we'll be competitive short uh, for the next three years i don't see that okay Did that answer your question yeah totally and yeah i think it's definitely a compelling proposition given that even today it's still really difficult for an artist to get a clear picture of their finances generally in terms of yeah, being able, and I guess, yeah, this is what you're saying. A lot of other music oriented SaaS products are working on, but um, having starting with a point of predictability that just happens to not be tied to like streaming royalties and then building up from there. Yeah, that's a super interesting path. I mean, Jack and I have the same story, but but a decade apart. Um, actually, I don't know when Jack's was, I think it was like 2011, but it was really interesting when him and I learned this. Um, I was uh, a DJ and I had a good year sometime in the late 90s. I think I made over 100K, which for a DJ playing vinyl at nightclubs and raves was, was kind of a lot, felt like a lot. And I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. And uh, that year, uh, I wanted to buy a home. And uh, I was like, I definitely had more than enough for the down payment. And I, I had, had been a successful DJ for almost a decade at that point, or like eight years or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't get a loan. The bank, the bank wouldn't loan me money uh, as an artist uh, because I didn't have pay stubs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody I had made a hundred k that year off of my various revenue streams from touring and selling music. But you know, someone who worked at the post office and made thirty k a year could get a loan from the bank because uh, it was predictable, and I couldn't. And that was as an artist, I think this moment for me where I was like, "Oh shit, I'm like not." in the system. <laughs> mm, mm, mm -hmm. I'm like over here in like nowhere, like I'm this weird thing that, that the regular financial world doesn't recognize as legitimate. Mm. And the future of Patreon, of course, is legitimizing uh, artists in, in, in a way that's super compelling. So that's something I'm, I'm just personally passionate about because um, I never for a minute felt like I was a, a big risk for a bank. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But 
Um, so that, that's, that's fun. You know, I think that's, that was what, 1998 or 99. So yeah, 20 years later, Mm -hmm. uh, here we are solving that problem. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, in the interest of time, would love to transition to the last segment of over and underrated music news. And I'd love for you to start because I know you have, um, a super interesting and topical one they wanted to bring up. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me on the on the over underrated, every single podcast app and music app on the planet right now is building uh, a gated uh, subscription, and um, I just think this is really overrated. Um, mm-hmm. I just think if you're a consumer, like, do we all need seven podcast players? Like, it's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I I literally see a new one every week. And some of them are like subscription and some of them are like sort of membership-y and some of them are sort of socially. But honestly, consumers are simply not going to use six or seven podcast apps. There's no chance. Mm. So this, this feels, it's like a really hot trend right now. I'd like to think Patreon had something to do with that because, because we're decently successful and membership is like getting out there. But also, the, again, the fact that artists deserve to get paid and content I think we're seeing power move back to the content creators. So those trends are all true. But what I don't think is going to happen, the overrated part, is I don't think consumers are going to just start to use a bunch of different uh, apps and ways to listen to podcasts. They're going to want that in one one or two spots. Mm, yeah, and in that sense, it like really strongly parallels the TV and film space. Like, I mean, this is the same problem that TV and over the top like video on demand streaming services have faced for several years. So I think in TV and film, maybe because they've been around for longer uh, in terms of these services, there are people who pay for multiple, like who will pay for Netflix, but also Hulu, but also HBO. But like, that is a max. Like, yeah, I also don't know people who are paying for, um, for like six, six or more different services. And maybe what these podcast apps are trying to do is like, take a similar path being like, Oh, we can create premium content just like HBO does for, for video. We're going to adopt a similar business model to like an HBO or Netflix. But yeah, I totally agree. Just like by the nature of the format and its history and how it's been made historically very widely accessible. The, the process of creating it is very democratized. Yeah. I agree. It doesn't really align with subscription that well. Yeah, I don't. It'll be fun to watch it all play out because there'll be a lot of carcasses over the next eighteen months. Yeah, um, and there'll be a few winners. I, there will be a few winners who manage to get traction um, because they're able to get enough consumers to drive it. But boy, it's sort of like a more discovery products in a world of discovery products. So we'll mm, see how that goes. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, to bring that full circle. And uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so the piece that I had in mind. Was pretty recent, I think, from last week. It's this news that the Jonas Brothers, who just released a new album, also now have their own vinyl membership club. And uh, I am visualizing club in massive air quotes because it's just like like a vinyl bundle. So the way that they've priced it, super premium, like the, the lowest price is $399, $399. Whoa. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And in exchange for that, um, you get eight different vinyl records. So there are, um, there's a lot of like catalog involved, 10 different singles. Um, you get a customized slip mat for your, for your turntable if you own one. And you also get a bunch of posters and there's a second, the only other tier above that is $599. And that includes like a bunch of other exclusive content, I think. And 
yeah, it's not really a club because I actually don't think there's any community aspect to it. And they, they're marketing it as a subscription, but it's the only part of it that's a subscription is the fact that you could opt in to pay in four different uh, segments of payments instead of just paying it all up front. But like, that's not a subscription. That's just like a kind of payment cycle that's more spread out. Yeah, so in general, I think it's overrated because I will admit I listened to the Jonas Brothers a bunch when they were first starting out, but I'm not the type of person to like be buying a turntable and like listening to vinyl records personally and not to kind of generalize my very specific anecdotal experience. But I doubt that the current Jonas Brothers fan base is willing to pay like that high of a premium for catalog in a streaming age, especially because I think the the material is also not like coming immediately. It's going to be spread out over a much longer period of time. So yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not super convinced. Uh, to me, it's, it's almost like an overpriced, like VIP experience at a live show. I personally have some qualms about that, like paying several hundred dollars just to like a handshake and a photo with someone like the Jonas Brothers. But yeah, those are my two cents. I mean, it's, it sounds like a record label, tried to do a subscription. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> it's not really ongoing value, like it's a not. subscription. It, exactly. It's sort of like a lumpy bit of value smoothed out over six to eight months. I'm just, if you're paying $3.99 a month, does it have a cap? Does it end? So it's, 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 not, it's, it's not $3.99 a month. It's just a one-time fee. So it's oh, not it's a even... a one-time fee. Yeah. So, so you, that you can and, pay in increments. Yes, yeah. yes. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not even a month. It's not even a subscription. Is what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting model. I'm sure they'll get a few takers, so that's cool. For sure, um, yeah. But yeah, it does... The takers of such a thing, I think, are a better fit for a true membership where they get back... They get mm. to, like, access... Like, if you're a person willing to spend 600 bucks for that stuff, you're probably really interested in <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And that's so true. And, like, from the labels or the artist's perspective, like, you should be trying to engage them more and, like, capturing more of that value more regularly. Yeah, yeah. Totally make, make it 20 bucks a month for, like, years and just... Yeah, it's, it's that's a really highly engaged segment of your audience that you'll probably want to be close to. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons Patreon doesn't always work, by the way, is... Uh, for some creators, it works for a lot. But you know how there's some musicians and artists, this is on this point, you have to, if you want Patreon to work, you have to like your top fans. You have to like mm. wanna, you have to wanna like ping them every once in a while, send them a post, like say hello, jump into a chat room. And you know, a lot of art, not a lot, a, a, but a percentage of artists, I'd say less than a quarter, really don't wanna engage with their fans. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like I was just thinking about this Jonas Brothers thing. It's not like they are engaging with their fans. They are it's just some stuff somebody made for their yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't That's like if I'm really into the Jonas Brothers, it's not like, oh cool, I get to have like know more about the Jonas Brothers. No, it's like you get some stuff. Yeah, right. Just like objects. And it's not yeah, yeah. it's speaking of like more intangible benefits that are tied to the artist. Yeah, it's, it's not like you're um getting to like talk with any of the members of that group. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes I'll meet a creator who's who's very popular or a musician who's very popular and then I'll ask them about their fan relationship. I'm like, hey, how do you how often do you chat with your fans? Do you love like and occasionally I meet someone and I'm like, oh you shouldn't do a membership. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like actually this isn't for you. 
Yeah. Uh, because yeah. like, if you don't, if you just don't even want to, if you feel like disgusted by them or you don't want to talk to them, like that's probably not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to really like your fans. Yeah. No. And it's good that you say that. Cause yeah, membership is definitely not like a one size fits all. Just, just like streaming arguably is not like a one size fits all model for every artist. Yeah. It all depends on what you prefer to do, like what your existing relationship is like and what your goals are. All of that. Yeah. Streaming is awesome for the 0.01 top percent who get right. like massive plays. It's a yeah. great business model. Yeah. It's just not very good for 99% of musicians. Yeah. I think membership, <clears throat> when I think about the, the market size, is good, is a really good business model for like 70% of musicians. Mm. And, not, and maybe not a great business model for the top 1%. Mm. Unless they like that fan relationship and that that's sort of like a one, it's not a one size fits all. You have to kind of understand what, because sometimes if you're like Taylor Swift, oh, your, your top fans can be kind of insane, right? You may mm-hmm, not actually mm-hmm. want to hang out with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that all, I think, I mean, Taylor Swift, I think had her own social network or social app a while ago that ended up not getting that much traction for multiple reasons. So that we just touched on now one, she posted like a couple of selfie videos and that was it. So she like engagement definitely like went down after a while from her. And then two, Mm -hmm. yeah, there were a couple of fans that were like super, um, uh, were just like super engaged, almost hyper engaged. Um, but then also there was a point where like some fans were like hostile to other fans. And I don't know, I guess Taylor's team either didn't, care or they just didn't really know how to handle that those are things that like yeah as running a membership platform you will have to grapple with in terms of like very hands-on customer service in that sense yeah totally totally and uh, like amanda palmer makes it work really well because Haley, right she has a person who who, like manages that membership incredibly well yeah she's got a really high volume large membership that it works wonderfully and she's very happy with but but Haley like dry, like runs that thing and Amanda swoops in to do really cool stuff with her fans and and Haley makes sure Amanda comes in at the right points. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, the bigger artist you are, the more like careful consideration you need to have about the level of engagement from your fans and when you as an artist need to actually go in and engage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for joining and for chatting. This is super interesting. Oh, I love talking about it. And as a former musician, I would love for music to be number one or number two on Patreon. Yeah, uh, clear, like like video from YouTube and and podcasting is just like running away right now. They're growing so fast, mm-hmm. but music is growing fast too. Um, and and I'm going to keep you know I, I do think there's going to be a tipping point uh, in the next couple of years because mm-hmm. it's such a good model for most musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, as a DJ in the '90s. Uh, I had, you know, a thousand true fans, um, easily, probably 5,000 true fans. Um, anytime I would play at a, an event or a club or anytime I would, um, go to a place, uh, I would have 20 people around the booth who knew every song I'd ever made mm-hmm. and, and came out to see me. Now, anytime you're at a performance at a venue, there's a, there's a full venue and, people have varying degrees of connection to your history as an artist. So if I'm at a venue with a thousand people, yeah, maybe a hundred of them know exactly who I am and they're here for that. And they're like, why are you going to play that one song you made a year ago or whatever? Uh, 
those are my super fans and they would love to have a, a, a deep connection uh, with me as an artist on a platform uh, like Patreon. And that would have been really nice back then. And I, I'd say for a lot of artists, it's the same way. You know you have that level of, of fandom. And so this is just an opportunity for you as a musician to, to monetize them better. Yeah. And yeah, to have an easier time also just like interacting with them in a more like central place. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something that strengthens the connection and doesn't get in between it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thank you again. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to episode 11 of the Water and Music podcast. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, or a show of support on any other podcast listening platform of your choice. In case you don't know, I also run a newsletter where I share not only exclusive analyses and essays on the future of music and technology, but also summaries and transcripts of all podcast episodes, including this one in the coming week. You can subscribe to that newsletter by visiting the link bit.ly slash water and music. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash water and music, all in lowercase. Special shout out to the Monster Cat team, which supplied the intro and outro music for this episode through their Monster Cat Gold subscription. Hope you have a great rest of your day wherever you are, and until next time.